Welcome, brave fellow believers, to the Kingdom in Context podcast. I'm Sean Griffin, and this is the the nightly pursuit where we look for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of His Word in this world, so that we can better relate His Word to this world. So, thank you for joining me. Um, it's always it, this is always uh, so much fun uh, to see. You know, people want to show up live and and interact and ask questions and everything. And so, as always. We will do a Q&A after we finish some uh, some basic, you know, teaching, some basic idea that I'll just go over some things I prepared for tonight, uh, including some scriptures and some thoughts, because tonight we're going to be looking at why spirit-led Christians keep Shavuot, right? Because it is not something that just ended along 2,000 years ago. We're going to be talking about um, how it applies to us in the future, um, its implications, um, the actual full-on fulfillment of it. And we'll also talk about its origination, where it came from. So I um, just want to thank everyone for joining me in here tonight. And I'm going to say hi to some people in the chat. Looks like Sister Payne is here, Clayton Linhart, Crystal C, Miss Peggy D, Jace Forbes, uh, Stephen Belkin, Carla Malberg. Um, let me see, Blue Doves is here. Welcome, everyone. Cindy Hogland, James Henry, David Shear. And thank you for being here, everybody. I really appreciate it. All right. So it looks like, let me see if I can get this set up. I will be, I'll be tonight um, going over some unique, unique concepts about the idea of Shavuot, where did it come from? Um, and the, the Greek word is really just the word Pentecost, but uh, it's Shavuot is, is what you would call it in the Hebrew. And it is instructed in Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. Um, and it's a uh, just another beautiful day of rest. It's considered a Sabbath, and it's a day of celebration and rest. And we're going to go over not just where it came from and why it's, what it means and why Christians keep it or should be keeping it, but we'll also talk about what it means to all believers in the future. And, uh, and it's a blessing. It's an incredible blessing. So let me set some things up. All right, real quick, though, I just want to thank everyone that has already supported us. Um, many people have... You know, they've supported us financially, whether through the links in the, in the description or through um, Patreon. Uh, and sometimes they just, you know, physically write letters to us and, and uh, support us in that way as well. So we just want to thank everybody. You guys are awesome. Um, and I know that sounds cliche, I guess, but I, I just I mean, I would I would hug you if I could hug you in person. But <laughs> some of you some of you live all across the world. So it's it's hard to I just want to give you a heartfelt deep. Thank you, Lindsay. And I really appreciate it because it really gives us the opportunity for all the research into all these things. And um, to create the slides and the graphics and, and just the, the thought process, which takes time, you know, and so um, because I want to be able to give people like, you know, meat, I want I want them to have stuff that they can take with them for the long term. And uh, that you know, just takes takes time. So you all have made it possible for me to prepare that and the time that it is required. So thank you so much. And I'll just put here. These are some of our uh, patrons that we just want to thank you for all that you do. And um it's really, really a blessing. But man, there with so much going on in the world, like the world's on fire and the U.S. I, I mean, I guess people were making the joke back in January about the world being on fire. I know that uh, I think it was Australia had some bad fires was dealing with in other places, um, the Amazon. But but now the U.S. and major cities are having lots of problems with rioting and looting and, and just horrible, in, you know, civil insurrection, that kind of stuff. And it's just a time where, you know, it, it would behoove us to keep our peace. And the father has actually, um, in his instructions to mankind, he's instituted and set up certain days just for peace, right? Just so we can have rest and enjoy, and, and enjoy who he is and have peace. And so that's something that we want to focus on um, tonight because we're going to go over something called Shavuot, which is one of his, his Sabbaths, one of his rest days. So let's look at some of the... Um, Oh yeah, I almost forgot. Thank you, David Shear. Guys, please go to Kingdom Cast. The, what we're doing with this, this is Kingdom in Context, the channel you're watching this on initially. But what we're doing is we have a secondary channel called Kingdom Cast. And that's uh, what we're going to eventually transition all these podcasts to that other channel. But YouTube will not let me do that until I get a thousand subscribers. So this is your moment right now. Go to our channel, recommended channels on Kingdom in Context and hit subscribe to the Kingdom Cast. Uh, it should be the same logo that you see behind me here. You'll see that as the logo for the channel. So, uh, or you can, you, you know, search it in the in the YouTube search for Kingdom Cast, um, or you can hit the link in the 
in the chat that David Shearer dropped, or you can hit it in the video description below. And please help me do that. Please, uh, if everyone watched these videos, because we've had over a thousand people watching these videos every night uh, within 48 hours. So if everyone just took two seconds to go and hit subscribe to Kingdom Cast, then we could start actually using that channel to do these live streams. So that's, that's our goal. And also New Jerusalem Media, this is a new media outlet that we've started. Um, it's another branch of our ministry, except it's a little bit to reach more people and broader algorithms, because right now there's a lot of censorship and suppression and especially of not just political ideas, but of religious ideas that tie to political ideas. So we've already seen indicators that Kingdom and Context is being shadow banned, suppressed. So therefore, we've started a secondary channel that is intended to reach truthful information to a broader audience. It's called New Jerusalem Media. So go please subscribe to that as well. So I just want to thank everybody. Um, because y'all are, y'all are just, uh, it's an encouragement to see you showing up every night. And uh, hopefully these are a blessing to you. So, okay. So I'm going to jump into it real quick. Let's go ahead and I'll, uh, I'll put this on screen. So let's look at what is Shavuot, right? What is this one day out of the year that is considered Sabbath? It's a day you just don't work, you focus on the Father, enjoy it, have a meal, you know, and rest. And why? Why would he ask for that? To happen, and so in Jubilee six, we actually get the origination. We get the the fundamental uh, beginning idea of where this came from, and uh, and we see that it when mankind started keeping it on the earth, they were actually um, second, if you will, to heaven above that had been keeping it since creation began. So let's look at it. Jubilee six fifteen through twenty two, and he gave to Noah and his sons a sign that there should not again be a flood on the earth. He set his bow in the cloud for a sign of the eternal covenant that there should not again be a flood on the earth to destroy it all the days of the earth. Put in the chat, guys. Did y'all realize that the, the rainbow was connected in Genesis 9? This is this is this parallel passage in Jubilee 6. Did you guys realize the rainbow was connected to Shavuot? That's what we're seeing going on in Genesis 9. Isn't that awesome? All right. So it says, For this reason it's ordained and written on the heavenly tablets that they should celebrate the Feast of Weeks in this month once a year to renew the covenant every year. And this whole festival was celebrated in heaven from the day of creation so the days of Noah, 26 jubilees and five weeks of years, and Noah and his sons observed it for seven jubilees and one week of years, till the day of Noah's death. And from the day of Noah's death, his sons did away with it until the days of Abraham. And they ate blood. But Abraham observed it, and Isaac and Jacob and his children observed it up to your days. And in your days, the children of Israel forgot it until you celebrated it anew on this mountain. Is the narration of this passage is the angels on Sinai with Moses for the 40 days. That's the narration of the book of Jubilees. So that's the person being spoken to right now. The angels are telling Moses about his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Noah, how they were keeping Shavuot. So this is also letting you know, so does Exodus chapter 1 as well, or chapter 19 as well, but lets you know that this, um, the Mount Sinai experience in the book of Exodus where Moses was on the mount for 40 days and 40 nights was happening during the time and before and after the time of Shavuot. So they're up there on the mountain explaining to Moses, this is why we do Shavuot. This is where it came from. This is your forefathers that kept it before you. It's a beautiful thing. He says, and you command the children of Israel to observe this festival in all their generations for a commandment unto them. One day in the year in this month, they shall celebrate the festival for it's the feast of weeks and the feast of first fruits. This feast is twofold and of a double nature. According to what is written and engraven concerning it, celebrate it. For I have written in the book of the first law, in that which I have written for you, that you should celebrate it in its season, one day in the year. And I explained to you its sacrifices, that the children of Israel should remember and should celebrate it throughout their generations in this month, one day in a year. So just in case you didn't catch it, guys, he's also telling you that the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Weeks are the same concept. And so, like I said, we're the, the generic Hebrew word for it, Shavuot, and it's also transliterated over time as Pentecost, but its original concepts was called the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of First Fruits. It's the same. It's a twofold festival that happens on one day, the same time. And, uh, and this is what's being explained to Moses. And you can actually pin, piece this together through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but it, it takes some diligent reading. This just outright tells you, boom, it's only a one-day festival, and it encompasses both terminology, Feast of Weeks and Feast of First Fruits. Just like um, the uh, Feast of Ingathering in Exodus 23 and Jubilees, I think it's 34, it's also explained that that's the Feast of Addition as well. So just like many things in the Hebrew culture that would have two names for the same concept, just like Mount Sinai in Scripture is often called Mount Horeb. So like it's it's very common, very common. Um, so this is happening in the third month when Moses is up on the mount 
and he's getting this 40 days of, of uh, that he's getting an explanation of the law of all the instructions of God. And it's te- and they're telling him, hey, man, we've been keeping this in heaven since creation began. That's amazing. So this is a, when you're celebrating Shavuot as a believer in the Messiah, who's the king of heaven. Just know that he and the father and all the angels are up there keeping Shavuot. <laughs> and that's why we're going to keep on. We're going to keep going here to a couple more verses to explain. Um Leviticus 23, 15 through 16, and also verse 21, it says, You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. So that's a total of 49 days. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. And then verse 21 says, And on this same day you shall make a proclamation as well. You're to have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It is to be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. So as a part of Israel, because we're disciples of the king of Israel, as Romans 2 tells us, we're a quote-unquote Jew. If we're doing the commandments of God, we're doing the behaviors of God, which was the behavior of Yeshua, our Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, we are stepping into these practices which are called eternal. And this one is called a perpetual statute. And we're going to actually look at not only is it eternal in the instructions, but also we're going to see it fulfilled in prophecy when the Messiah returns. Numbers 28, 26 kind of expounds again, because that first one, as you saw, it calls it, um, it explains about bringing in the sheaf offerings, the new grain. So a lot of people would call that first fruits, but then you have it called first fruits and feast of weeks in the same passage in Numbers 28, 26. It says also on the day of the first fruits, when you present a new grain offering to the Lord in your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. So it's just, it's like I said before, you have to piece it together and look at the context uh, from comparing the same concept in two different books, but you get the same information Jubilees just tells you in one one flat paragraph. Ezekiel 45, 17, we're going to see in the Millennial Kingdom, we actually see all of these feasts being carried out, of which this perpetual statute of Shavuot would also be carried out as well. It says in verse 17, it shall be the prince's part to provide the burnt offerings, the grain offerings and the drink offerings at the feasts, on the new moons and on the Sabbaths, at all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel, he shall provide the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, the peace offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. Now, a lot of people want to immediately freak out and jump into the idea of what do you mean? How, how in the world can you think there's atonement when, when Yeshua returns? I thought he wiped sin away. Well, God, please go check out some of our videos that we've done in the past talking about the survivors of the day of the Lord, the people that are not resurrected into their glorified bodies yet. And they're still living outside the new Jerusalem and they're still mortal. They're still sinning. They're still going to need sin atonement offering. And guess who is a, an eternal high priest? Yeshua, right? First Timothy 2, 5, 1 John 1, 9, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. All right, so let's check it out here. It says on Acts chapter 2, we're going to go through the, the classic story just real quick because I'm going to express to you and show you with the scriptures how it pertains to the return of the Messiah and how this comes into a much greater fulfillment of the day of, of Pentecost or Shavuot. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 11, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they, that's the disciples and their extended family and brethren, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And as the Spirit was giving them utterance, now there were Jews living in Israel, devout men from every nation under heaven. That means men that follow the commandments of God, by the way, when you see that term, devout men. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Right. So here's another great, you know, just a blatant example of the idea of tongues means you're just speaking in a known different language. You're not babbling incoherently. It says now. When this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speak why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia. Guess he's describing modern day Turkey. He's describing Assyria, what would be we would call Iraq and Iran today, and even over further down the Middle East towards the um, the uh, the inlet of Iran. So, I mean, there, he's just going to describe all the surrounding area, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt. Now we're on the other side of the Nile in Egypt, all these places where they'd all been scattered for the last four or 500 years, the districts of Libya and Cyrene and the visitors from Rome. So now he's even talking about people all the way from, from Italy um, and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. 
So in addition to devout, that means commandment keeping people that had come back for Shavuot, for this feast, just like we see in Acts chapter 18 and chapter 20 and 21, Paul is going back to Jerusalem for Shavuot, and that's post-Messiah's resurrection. We're seeing these gentlemen come from all the surrounding region of the Mediterranean and the Middle East, and they're coming back to Jerusalem, which was the, the instruction, if they could, if they're, you know, uh, the, the nation they lived under as they were scattered several hundred years earlier, now under different rulers, if they were allowed to travel, then they could come back. And this is the situation that arose by the time we get to the first century AD is that all the different places they were scattered, they had the freedom to travel to some degree and come back for the feast that they, they wanted to celebrate in Jerusalem. And so when they get back there, they hear the disciples of Yeshua after Yeshua has ascended to the father and resurrected now suddenly talking in their languages from their, their hometowns so that the, again, to the spirit so that the communication of the gospel can happen. And this is what we see Peter expound upon as he stands up to explain what's happening. Verse 12, he says, they all continued amazement and great perplexity, saying one to another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they're, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, many of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I'll pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Then he goes on to say, and I will grant one, he's repeating Joel chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter two, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's tying this new concept that they're experiencing, this quote unquote outpouring of the spirit directly to the day of the Lord. Now we see that because you, well, let me just, not get ahead of myself. Let me just try to uh, explain this. As we go further down in the same chapter, chapter two of Acts, verse 32 and 33, he goes on to expound how this relates to Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, our high priest, who's ministering in the temple of heaven above. Uh, this, If you guys are familiar with, if you want a full breakdown from one of our podcasts, we did this last Tuesday night, uh, last Tuesday night podcast where I talked about uh, why pastors won't talk about Hebrews 4.14. Go check that one out in the playlist. And I go over the priesthood of Yeshua with great detail and lots of scripture. Peter is trying to explain the priesthood of Yeshua in this moment because he understands it. And he's trying to explain, like, this is why this is happening. And he tells him, he says in verse 32, this Jesus, whom God raised up again, to which we're all witnesses, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see in here. So the effects of the things you see in here, of them speaking in tongues and ministering the good news of the gospel to people from all over the, the region that came for Pentecost, he's saying Jesus is what made this possible. He gave this gift to us by pouring forth the Spirit that's the that's the benefit of him having the priesthood and being a perfect high priest before the Father for us. So there is a greater conduit for the Spirit to flow through him to us. So we see a glimpse of this back in Numbers chapter 11, when Moses and Aaron were doing things right and trying to follow the law of God. And then the Spirit drops on the other elders so they can go out and teach people uh, the law of God in, in the camp. But nothing like what we have through Yeshua. It's a much greater dose, if you will, because we have a, Aaron was not perfect. We have a perfect high priest uh, mediating before us, before the Father. So we get a greater dose, right? Again, a lot of people are like, man, I've heard that before. I've been, you know, I was, I went to a church that explained that before in the past. So what's the big deal? Why do you keep explaining this? Because it's going to matter like, like, Peter was explaining and, and tying this concept together with the day of the Lord, 100% matters at the return of Yeshua. So if we look in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, it says, In that day, God shall shine gloriously and counsel on the earth to exalt and glorify the remnant of Israel. And it shall be that the remnant left in Zion and the remnant left in Jerusalem, even all that are appointed to life in Jerusalem. What does that mean, guys? We're talking eternal life. This is the, oh, those who are left, the remnant of Israel. That's those who took part in the first resurrection are appointed to life in Jerusalem shall be called holy or set apart. And this is what we've tried to explain emphatically on so many different episodes, so many different types of episodes and, and different broadcasts we've done in Kingdom of Context. Let's explain the resurrection to you. For the Lord shall wash away the filth of the sons and daughters of Zion and shall purge out the blood from the midst of them with the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. And he shall come 
and it shall be with regard to every place of Mount Zion, yea, all the region round about it shall a cloud overshadow by day, and there shall be, as it were, the smoke and light of fire burning by night, and upon all the glory shall be a defense, and it shall be for a shadow from the heat, and as a shelter and a hiding place from the inclemency of weather and from rain. So in this short passage in Isaiah chapter 4, we get that these is speaking about the new Jerusalem, those who are resurrected, the wicked are taken out with the spirit of judgment and burning, and the filth or the sin of the sons and daughters of Zion has been purged, has been removed, right, washed away, because they've been given incorruptible bodies and glorified, uh, excuse me, incorruptible hearts and glorified bodies at the resurrection. And Yeshua has already come down on the day of the Lord with his battle angels to take out the wicked, and with the spirit of judgment and burning, um, we We've we've done you know whole you actually go to our day of the Lord playlist. It's on the Road to Rescue playlist on here, and we did a three part series on the day of the Lord, and we go over all these scriptures in great detail. And I did that series with Ken Heidebrecht from Hang On His Words. So basically, guys, he's tying all this stuff together, right? The New Jerusalem, the inhabitants of it are glorified. Um, the wicked has been taken out of the way, and while this is happening, there is over inside Zion there'll be. A very similar description to what we see in the Exodus, which is this pillar pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, which is fascinating. Um, and I because it it has the room for it, like at Revelation 21 explains, the New Jerusalem is 1500 miles squared, 1500 miles tall. It's a massive continent that's in a cube shape on its own. Oh, and by the way, guys, let me, let me take this down. Um, some of you have asked me because I did a, a show last Thursday on truth and movies. Right. And we talked about Saturn's black cube and different things like that. And a lot of people was asking, but wait, Sean, doesn't, doesn't your, doesn't your logo. Isn't that a cube? Isn't that a, is that a black cube? No guys. It's the reason I chose this logo. Cause there's a design companies that can make intros for you. And because I'm not a graphic artist to make animated 3d intros. And so they can make those intros for you. And this one, the reason I chose it was because as it comes together, into a uh, like a rectangle you you have the the look of the dome across it of the because i'm a firm fundamentalist that's that's what it is so yeah i mean that in the occult the black saturn's cube that's a bad thing but the father's house then in jerusalem from all everything i understand from religion 21 and all the other places about it it's a cube shape 1500 miles tall 1500 miles square so it, you know Geometric shapes are not evil, guys. It's their use and their intent of them. So, anyway, let's look at um, let's look at uh, Isaiah eleven one through ten, and we're now going to talk about when the when the Son of God is on the earth and the kingdom is coming. This is what Yeshua preached about the gospel, the kingdom of God. He's going to talk about the Spirit being intertwined in this process as well. Okay, so it's Isaiah eleven one through ten, real quick. It says, "Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him." the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord and will not judge by what he sees, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt around his loins and faithfulness, the belt around his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place, that's the New Jerusalem, will be glorious. So it's tying you in to this idea that he's on the earth, and he's ruling in these in the spirits of the Lord, right? The spirits of wisdom, counsel, strength, knowledge for the Lord, understanding. He's ruling with those, okay? Because he delights in the law of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And all the nations will look to him, all the peoples, all the, the goyim, if you will. If you, it depends on which kind of word you want, the goy. Uh, but the idea is all the peoples and the surrounding nations, right? The quote-unquote Gentiles. This is what Romans 15, Paul's trying to explain to you. That this is the moment, like Isaiah 61 also talks about, where all the nations put their hope in him, just like Isaiah 42. All the nations are going to put their hope in Messiah because he's the one that saves them from the wicked. Like it says, he slays the wicked with the breath of his lips. And this is what he does, Matthew 25, 31, when he returns um, and to, to rat out the wicked and judge judge the uh, the kings of the earth. Right. 
If we keep going, Isaiah 54, 10 through 17, and then also into the first few verses of 55, because remember in Hebrew, there was no chapter breaks. There's no verses and chapter breaks. So you just you can read the whole portion together. It'll, it will be as Isaiah wrote it. It says, in verse, uh, verse 10 of 54, For the mountains may be removed, the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony, and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Wait a minute. Is he talking to me? Is he talking to you? No, guys, the context of Isaiah 54 and the first part of 55, he's the, talking to the New Jerusalem. He's talking to Zion. So it's it's, it's beautiful. Go see Isaiah 50, uh, 54, 1. So there's many chapters, actually, in Isaiah where he's directly talking to Zion because she, she's the bride. So he says, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony, your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I'll make your battlements of rubies and your gates of crystal and your entire wall of precious stones. And all your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you'll be established. You'll be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. We see that actually fulfilled in Revelation 27 through 10. It says, and I have created the destroyer, excuse me, behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fires of coals and brings out a weapon for its work. I've created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that's formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment will, will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me. So he's talking about the safety of the new Jerusalem, and that land, it's called the land of promise, is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. That's you and I resurrected into it. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It says, and he declares, ho, everyone who thirsts, excuse me, I said, declares the Lord in sentence, new sentence, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what's, what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance, incline your ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Now, many people think, oh man, that's cool. Is this like, you know, the, the father is telling you, come, I got free food and water and, and milk and, you know, and wine. But let's, let's look at who's actually saying this because we see it repeated in the New Testament. Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come and let the one who's thirsty, let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. It's, it's a summarization, but it's the same message from Isaiah 55, one through three. And it's the Zion speaking. It's this bride speaking to the come. You're thirsty. Take the bread of life without cost. Take the water of life without cost. I'll satisfy you. Come. It's the invitation Come to my house. Of course, that you know means you have to come to repentance and do what's right, as verse 14 says in Revelation 22, 14. Those who you know wash the robes, those who keep the commandments, uh, have the right to eat of the tree of life. So how beautiful, how beautiful is this? The spirit itself, in the personification as the bride of the new Jerusalem, is speaking, come, get, get some free water of life. It's amazing, guys. It's truly amazing. So the reason why I included that is I'll stick right here for just a second. Uh, the reason why I included it, I just want people to understand that there is so much, <laughs> there is so much um, Gnostic interpretation of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that becomes Trinitarian doctrine. And in fact, it it, it goes all the way back to ancient pantheism to you know to ancient Egypt. Um, there's a lot of ministries out there that have done videos on this already. We haven't, we haven't done a specific video on it, but we've done an entire playlist called hashtag son of the father, that it breaks down the relationship between the father and the son. And it's not the way Trinitarians describe it, right? It's very different. And the actual priesthood of Yeshua himself negates the whole Trinitarian concept. We never see the Holy spirit being spoken of as a physical body in heaven or on earth. But it's spoken of as if it's the power that the father can send through his angels or through his son, like he's our the son I just read in Acts 2 is our high priest who now has the authority and the ability to send the spirit to us in greater, greater ability than we've ever had. That's the this step up, if you will, we have over the enemy in these days we live in with Yeshua as our high priest. We have a greater ability to overcome the enemy than the people did in the Old Testament. 
but yet we follow the same behavior as the old, the people did in the Old Testament in the same type of faith and belief, right? It's the same covenant because as you, as we just read, the everlasting covenant is what we go into with the bride, with the new Jerusalem. And Yeshua is the bridegroom. We're the wedding guests who he brings us into this covenant that we enter into with the land of promise. And this is expounded for us in Isaiah 62, verse four and five, that just as our Elohim, Yeshua, our God marries the land of promise, Zion. We also, the sons and daughters, will marry Zion, enter into covenant with, marry, same thing. We're not physically getting married to land, right? This isn't some weird, weird TLC show. We're just literally, it's it's talking about going into covenant with, just like we read from that verse, right? I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Come. Just like the mercies that were shown to David. Come. Get some of this water of life. Buy food without milk, buy food, milk without cost. And, and uh, this is the beauty of how the new Jerusalem will be the place when it comes down on the earth that all the nations come to and look to for survival and for salvation, physical salvation and spiritual salvation. Because there, it's the only, the only place that's got fresh food and water <laughs> by, the, by the time the events of the day of the Lord are over. As we read from Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2 when Peter's repeating Joel, where all these signs are happening on the earth and the moon and the sun turn to blood and um, there's smoke, vapor, and there's all these problems happening. It's all the bad events that happen on the day of the Lord, the cataclysm of worldwide destruction. Those who survive that and that didn't take part in the resurrection, they're going to come to the new Jerusalem for free food and water, and they're going to be sustained and kept alive by the mercies of Yeshua, king of the new Jerusalem. That's why the nations will hope in him and will come to him for salvation. So, yes, metaphorically right now we see the nations hoping in him for salvation because they come to him in faith and belief and start the discipleship process. But in a literal fulfillment sense, when Yeshua returns, the nations will literally come to the new Jerusalem for sustenance, for survival needs. And they will put their hope in Yeshua and all the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem. And that's where they're going to learn the Torah, as Isaiah 2, 2-5 through explains, because they're going to need to know how to stop fighting and killing each other and how to live in peace. So as we're reading, as we're seeing, I'm going to put this back up on screen. As we're reading in Isaiah 22, 17, the spirit and the bride itself, the, 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 the power of God, right? That, that is, that created all things, right? The spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis 1, 2. In Genesis 20, in Revelation 22, 17, it's, and Isaiah 55, it's shouting, hey, come guys, come. I've got the goodness for you. This is what's been prepared since the foundation of the world. This is the storyline that we are waiting to fulfill in full totality at the second coming of the Messiah so that the whole world can have salvation and peace. And this is the symbolic and full realization of Pentecost, where the spirit drops literally in the form of a massive crystalline walled New Jerusalem. The spirit Dropping in Pentecost and people doing signs and wonders and prophesying, that's just a dose. It's like a small dose. But when the day of the Lord happens and all the resurrected saints are full of the Spirit of God without limit, like resurrected Yeshua was, and they have his law written on their heart, we'll never sin again, and we just were our own priesthood underneath Yeshua, and we can be entire conduits of the Spirit of God too, we're going to be prophesying like no other. This is why this passage in Joel is talking about, let me go back up for you. This is why the passage in Joel not only uh, relates it to the day of the Lord, but it says that I will pour my forth my spirit on all mankind. Now, we know Peter is trying to help people understand why this is happening. This is the beginning of this process that comes into full fulfillment at the day of the Lord, just like all the prophets explain to us that everything happening now is a progressive process leading up to the day of the Lord. He's trying to explain to the people that are watching this out for the spirit. This is part of what Joel prophesied that's going into this of greater fulfillment where the spirit of God drops on all of creation. And then therefore all of mankind that comes to the new Jerusalem to learn of the Torah of God, to learn of his right behavior, his loving ways. All of mankind will have the spirit available to them and falling on them through the priesthood of Yeshua exemplified through the, uh, the resurrected saints underneath him in the Melchizedek priesthood who can go out and minister to all the survivors of the day of the Lord who are still alive and mortal and, you know, need to learn how to live and survive in peace and the love of God. So this is a, a beautiful, beautiful fulfillment guys of how this is going to just shake out 
on the day of the Lord so that the fullness of Pentecost, of Shavuot, will have its realization for the beginning of the thousand-year reign where even though just like um, the the um, like the moments back in, oh, I can't remember, I think it's uh, 1 Samuel 12, where Paul, or excuse me, not Paul, but Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, um, Samuel tells him to go go over to this you know area where these other prophets were and he's like and the spirit's gonna fall on you and you'll prophesy and you'll be a different man and he was for a little while but then he you know he fell back and started doing some horrible things later um to the point where he's persecuting david but this is this is what's going to happen as well when the new jerusalem comes down which is the literal physical embodiment of the spirit of god in a structure form it's the the walls of the new jerusalem that no one can assail or overcome with any weapon. And as a result of that, the people are going to come to this. And this is where this prophecy is going to be, uh, you know, uh, disseminated, if you will, <laughs> and truly realized in the eyes of just the nations that come, they're going to be able to have the spirit fall on them and prophesy and dream dreams and have visions, all of it glorifying the father and leading to Torah observance. And that's why we see in Isaiah two, two through five, the nations are learning the Torah. It's beautiful guys. It's absolutely beautiful. So as a, as a, as a bonus uh, verse, before we stop, um, we'll go into Isaiah or first Enoch 61, because this is what happens immediately after everything I've just been describing to you. Let's look at Isaiah, uh, first Enoch 61, 8 through 12. It says, And the Lord of Spirits placed the elect one, that's Yeshua, on the throne of glory. So the Almighty, the Father, places his son, the elect one, on the throne of glory. This is this is what's going to happen on the day of the Lord until everyone can see. He'll be vindicated in the sight of all the nations as the king of the earth. And he shall judge all the works of the holy heaven above in heaven. So you remember in Matthew 25, 31, he brings the sheep and goats to him, all the, all the survivors of the day of the Lord. He judges sheep and goats. Those who've been resurrected and brought into his house, they've already been judged, right? The judgment begins with the house of God. But now he's going to be judging the actual angels. This is why in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, Paul tells us, do you not know that even you will judge angels? Because we're in this same authority structure as Yeshua, and we're going to be placed in an authority even higher than the angels. So when the Father comes back, everybody's getting judged in some capacity through his Son, right? And this is when the kingdom of God comes to the earth. He uses his son to judge all things. And this is what we're watching in 1 Enoch 61. He says, he shall judge all the works of the holy above in the heaven. That's the angelic beings, the spirits in, in heaven above. And the balance shall their deeds be weighed. And he shall lift up his countenance to judge their secret ways according to the word of the name of the Lord of spirits and their path according to the way of the righteous judgment of the Lord of spirits. And then they shall all with one voice speak and bless and glorify and extol and sanctify the name of the Lord of spirits. And he will summon all the hosts of the heavens. And by the way, Real quick, guys, when it says they will, they will bless, extol, and sanctify the name of the Lord of Spirits, that's the word name in Hebrew and in the Greek means authority, right? So that's not, because remember, the Son was given all the authority, like Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 explained, the name of the Father. The Son was given the name of the Father as his authority, the mantle of authority. The Son has it in the Father's stead. That was what was prophesied and given to him. So, but they're all going to bless and extol the Father and his authority, because that's being disseminated as he chose throughout the millennial reign. It says, with all with one voice, speak and bless, glorify, extol, and sanctify the name of the Lord of spirits, and he will summon all the hosts of heaven and all the holy ones above, and the host of God, the cherubic, the seraphim, the ophanim, all the angels of power, all the angels of principalities, and the elect one, that's the Messiah, and the other powers on the earth and over the water. Those are explained in Jubilees 2, too. On that day shall raise one voice and bless and glorify and exalt in the spirit of faith, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of patience, the spirit of mercy, the spirit of judgment, and of peace, and the spirit of goodness. And shall all say with one voice, blessed is he, and may the name of the Lord of spirits be blessed forever and ever. All who sleep not above in heaven shall bless him. All the holy ones who are in heaven shall bless him. All the elect who dwell in the garden of life, that's us, the resurrected saints, and every spirit of light who is able to bless and glorify and extol and hallow your blessed name and all flesh shall be on measure. Glorify and bless your name forever and ever. So this is just a, to me, this is just a beautiful fulfillment and realization of what this feast day of Shavuot comes to full fruition when the Messiah returns and the kingdom of God comes down. And it's because it's called the father's house, his paradise, his garden of life. It's to me, it's an it's an amazing thing. It's truly amazing. So, real quick, before we end, 
This is <laughs> this is a clip. These are two short little clips from two very cheesy movies. But guys, I you know, um, I I wanted to show you because basically the uh, the imagery that they're showing in these movies about something coming down through the sky. Now, granted, they're using like a they're using like um, a heliocentric model. It doesn't use the biblical cosmological model of the firmament, but it looks just what I would imagine the people of the day of the Lord, when they see the new Jerusalem that's going to descend through the sky, which is the literal fulfillment of the father dropping the, his spirit, literally codified as a house onto the earth. This is, this is what goes through my mind. And I saw this imagery in a movie and I just want to share it with you. This is first, first clip is from transformers three dark of the moon where a, you know, they're like another dimension. There's, they're trying to pull uh, this metallic planet called Cybertron into the atmosphere of the earth. It's pretty cheesy, but this is what I would imagine that people watching the new Jerusalem descend through the sky would start to see glimpses of because it would be so massive. Interesting dialogue, right? That they put with, with that imagery. Okay, let's look at another one real quick. This is in another cheesy Transformers movie that came out later. It's I think it was called The Last Night. And they actually, again, the same plot line, they're trying to get this metallic planet called Cybertron or some version of it to Earth, right? They're trying to bring it to Earth and they actually do in some capacity. I don't remember the full plot of the movie because it was really, really bad, stupid stuff. But the imagery that they're showing you, obviously, is... You know, they're trying to hide truth in the movies, right? And what they're showing you here is very similar to what you might see on the day of the Lord trying to witness the New Jerusalem come down through the firmament. It's, it's wild. I can't find any other um I can't find any other type of visual representation of anything this epic to show you what it might look like with the New Jerusalem setting down. So that's that's the best I could find in uh in movies. Yeah, Darren. Uh, Darren's asking. There's no similar saying. There's no no sound, no dialogue. That's intentional, guys. I, I don't want to. Um, all of my podcast, not all of them, all of them, but for like one of them, has been demonetized. Um, and sometimes they claim it's because of the audio clips I'm using, and sometimes they don't give me a reason. But they're just demonetizing my broadcasts, uh, which means it's not about the money. I don't make but few dollars on these broadcasts if they get two or three thousand views. It's not about the money. It's about the distribution. So the way that YouTube works is they actually, if they demonetize you or they say that you're limited ad ability because of the content or they don't like what you're doing, they will they will not recommend your video to a lot of people. So it it. It, if it's even recommended to all of your subscribers, that's a that's a bonus. But they will not recommend it to people beyond your subscriber base, meaning, you know, it's hard for you to grow and it's hard for people to find you. So this is the game that people are constantly having to play with YouTube. And that's why sometimes you can't include audio clips. So. All right. Anyway, that's that's all about that, guys. I'll go to the to the chat and let's check out some questions. Uh, hopefully this this has been a blessing to you of you know, this, the full realization of Shavuot when the, when the Messiah returns and the kingdom of God is fully realized on the earth and the father's house descends. And, um, it's, it's just going to be a beautiful outpouring of the spirit of God that mankind has never, ever witnessed in all of history. And this is a, a feast that symbolizes this coming event that even the father keeps in heaven and that will keep on the earth during the millennial reign when the father brings his house down to us. So guys, as always, put your questions um, in all caps or, and uh, so that way we can, you know, see them as I scroll through the ch chat and try to make it a coherent sentence. So I know what you're asking. That way you have a better chance of getting your, your question answered because I know I, I ran through a lot of scripture quickly tonight, but I unfortunately just, the, the, and I'm trying to not keep these podcasts from going into like two, three hours. So, all right, let's, let's see if I can see any questions here. All right. Hopefully everything I explained tonight was uh, understandable. Hopefully it was encouraging and understandable. Yeah. Okay. Let me see. I think I'm, I've got a chat, a question being sent to me. Okay. I see it. Yeah. I'm going to put it on screen too. All right. From Karen C. She's asking, is the no weapon formed against you shall prosper passage also speaking to the new Jerusalem? It's only speaking to the new Jerusalem. 
I know preachers for decades, preachers have used that passage to say that it's speaking to you and I, but the whole the whole context of Isaiah 54 and, and the beginning of 55 is to Zion. It's a conversation the Father is having to Zion, to the New Jerusalem. It's not to us. So we're going to be inside it, which is why we're protected. We never have to worry about any kind of weapon you know, being successful against us. But in its context, that phrase is talking just to the city of God, Zion, the New Jerusalem. So hopefully that's... a. Uh, all right, so I think I see another question real quick. It says, Cindy Hogland is asking, are we still considered the bride as well? No. No, we, we were never considered the bride. The, the bride has always been called the New Jerusalem. I've, in fact, I've, I have an actual series that I've done on this. It's in my playlist here in Kingdom of Context. It's called Hashtag the Bride. And I go over all the verses and I go over all some of the, even the teachings that people try to conclude that we are the bride. And I explain the context of those verses. And yeah, that's a, that's a popular teaching amongst uh, both, you know, tour observant crowds and also mainstream church. But if you dig into the verbiage, you start to see the second Ezra chapter seven twenty six revelation 21, nine through 10 specifically tells you the bride is the new Jerusalem. So again, just like Yeshua explains to us, Matthew 22, 29 through 30, we don't marry anybody when we get resurrected, okay? We're not given or taken in marriage when we get resurrected. The only concept is we enter into an everlasting covenant with the new land of promise that we go into, and that land of promise is Zion. This is why in John chapter 3, verse 29 and 30, John the Baptist speaks of Yeshua and calls him the bridegroom, and John the Baptist calls himself the friend of the bridegroom, not the bride of the bridegroom. Same thing with Matthew 22 in the parable, verse 8 through 11, um, we're called the guests at the wedding. Yeshua is the bridegroom at the, the wedding supper of the Lamb, the merit, the covenant supper of the Lamb. We're the guests. We're being brought in under Yeshua's authority and leadership. That's why Romans 8, 29, he's the firstborn among many brethren. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 18, he's the first of the church, right? So we're brought in under Yeshua's authority. This is why in Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 4, since we're dead in our mortal bodies, resurrected by Yeshua through the power of the Spirit of God, then we're he, as a high priest duty, presents us to the Father spotless and glorified, right? This is understanding the, the Torah pertaining to priests, and you understand that language there. So we were never the bride. We're always going to be entering the covenant underneath Yeshua's authority in this land of promise uh, because he's the king of that land, right? And so this is why the bride has always been metaphorically been called the bride, but it's it's uh, the land of promise, the New Jerusalem. So. All right, let me see here. Um, see if there's any other questions. James Henry is asking off topic. Do you have any teachings on the calendar? No, we don't. No, we we don't get into the calendar too much because there's so many different. We have not come to a definitive conclusion on any calendar uh, because we think that we've never seen anyone definitively prove the starting point for a calendar. And as far as the uh, the validity of which one to keep. So um, it's just, we also believe that these things have been intentionally, according to certain prophecies, these things have been intentionally lost over time as a result of what happened to the scattering of Israel. And all of it will be made right when Yeshua returns and he'll set us right to the, to the, to the proper calendar. But now we just do it in faith and belief, do the best we can. So when you're, when you're celebrating Shavuot, the one day feast, as we just explained tonight, just do your best to glorify the father, even if, Someone else you know is keeping us a, a different day. Um, we do our best. Let me see here. And I always love people to direct people to the book of Tobit, chapter two, where he's keeping Pentecost with his wife. And um, but he's outside of Jerusalem, so he's not even able to keep it under its proper context, just like we're not able to, right? We're not able to actually keep it in, in Jerusalem in the land with the temple there because there is none, and the, and the, the next temple that's coming is going to be the new Jerusalem, according to prophecy. So we're not able to keep it to its fullest anyway, even if it's on the right day. So Tobit in exile in Assyria in the book of Tobit, he was part of the, the tribe of Naphtali invaded by the Assyrian kings. He's across the Mesopot uh, the Euphrates River in Assyria, um, and he's trying to keep Shavuot with his wife, and they just tried to keep the Sabbath, keep the day as a Sabbath, and just make a celebratory meal. And that's what my wife and I do for Shavuot as well. All right, so Kingdom Truthers saying he liked the Ezekiel's Will video. Thank you, brother. I hope that was edifying for everybody. And um, uh, you're welcome, Karen C. Hopefully that was um, explanatory. And it looks like Shalom from the Dome has a question. 
Have you considered following Yah's calendar? According to First Enoch, have you tried to write down what he describes? There's actually people that have done that. There's entire groups dedicated to it, actually. And again, that's what I was trying to explain. Um, we we already do personally follow a variation of Enoch and Jubilees according with uh, the you know the signs of the air and the moon and things like that. That's because we keep the four new moon feasts that we you read about in Jubilee six, and uh, we already do. But again, it's about finding the origination point within the year, and that's what's been lost to us throughout history. And I've never seen anyone definitively prove uh, with any kind of you know solid argument why you should pick a certain day in our Gregorian calendar, which would have been trans translated back through various calendars all the way back as the appropriate day that they kept back then to start the year. Otherwise, uh, you could easily keep the the Jubilees and Enoch calendar. That's that's the one I'd recommend. Not I would not recommend the rabbinical calendar anyway. So, all right, let's look at. Um, yeah, we. <laughs> this, is, this will be a topic for another people are still asking about the bright idea it's it's such a trigger for so many people and i'm not saying you're upset um brother it's a your name is just a whole bunch of different names of, of jesus so um i'm going to call you uh yeshua torah um it, yeah I know, I know you're probably not upset it looks like you're asking a genuine question but no this check out my bride series i go over all the scriptures for it brother we are never called the bride. We're metaphoric to Jesus. So what you're asking right now is, wait, I thought, you know, we marry Jesus. No, this is the reason why people make that mistake is because they come from a Trinitarian mindset where they think the father is the son. The son is a separate person. He's the son of God, not the father. And he is called the bridegroom. So what you're referring to in Jeremiah 3 and other places in Isaiah where the father is speaking about the covenant that Israel broke with him. And he's speaking to them as if he was a husband to them because he looked after them and cared for them. So he's using that metaphoric marriage language to explain the, the, how he's going to be treating the situation in regards to Israel breaking the covenant with their bad behavior. Um, but there you literally don't marry God. Does that make sense? The the, the physical aspect, people are conflating, terminology like the terminology to be married to someone on the earth a man and a woman that happens only on the earth you're not married in heaven there's nobody getting married in heaven in the kingdom of heaven above and when that kingdom comes down to the earth nobody's getting married inside of that everyone who's in that inside of that is a glorified self-sufficient being and dwelling of the spirit of the god and they're not reproducing so the idea with marriage between two people on the earth was to reproduce multiply and fill the earth that is, as we're told in, in Matthew 22, 29, 30, and Luke 20, uh, Luke first chapter 20, verse uh, 34 through 40, we won't be doing that in the kingdom of heaven. We'll be made like the angels. We won't be given or taken in marriage. And the, the terminology of a husband as if a wife was of the father in the Old Testament, the Almighty, not the son, the father taking care of Israel as if they were his wife in a covenant-style relationship. And when they broke the covenant by disobeying, as was prophesied, they would. He then gives them a writ of divorce in the language synonymous with marriage language, explaining to them why he's kicking them out of the land. He's divorcing them from the land, but not from his commitment to the covenant. And guys, again, I've done so many videos on this. That's a whole nother. We're going to get out really, really far off topic. Um, if you're interested, please go check out Identity Crisis Averted. I go over the scriptures in great, great detail, and then also my bride series. So it's uh, Identity Crisis Averted, and then the bride, part one and two. And um, I think you'll really be blessed by that. It clears up a lot of confusion from those teachings. Yes, the Book of Tobit is great. Um, I think somebody was talking about the Book of Tobit. It's great. It really is. We did uh, several, several things that... Um, on several episodes on honor of Kings season two on the book of Tobit went through the whole book. Yeah. Kingdom truth. <laughs> okay, guys. I, I mean, I can't stop you from asking questions about what you want to ask about, but um, I, I'm just going to assume since everyone wants to ask about the bride doctor now, <laughs> that's uh, that what I did talk about tonight with Shavuot was clear, concise, and, and uh, you're going to be able to, to walk away with a better understanding of why a modern believer of Yeshua and disciple of Yeshua, Christians should be keeping Shavuot. Um, not only is it an eternal command, but they keep it in heaven and we're going to be keeping it in the millennial reign. And it is literally pointing toward the physical fulfillment of the kingdom of God coming to the earth. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, all right. So let me see here. Yeah. Honor of Kings. Thanks, Bill Craddock. 
Uh, if you guys haven't seen the Honor King series, go check that out. It's under the playlist here on the channel. Um, that's great. And yes, you're right. Kingdom Truther, Jonah and Tobit, they're interconnected. And in fact, at the very end of the book of Tobit, he's talking about the prophecy of Jonah. So it's pretty fascinating. It gives you a timeline for when Jonah took place, which a lot of historians in the last hundred years, they struggle with trying to figure out when, when, to, when the book of Jonah took place. And they don't realize that 14 books were removed from the American Bible in the 1880s. And had they had the, the book of Tobit, which was one of those removed, they would never be questioning when Jonah took place because they would know. Um, all right. Let me see here. Let's see if there's any other questions you guys have. If not, we will, uh, well, I will just, you know, hopefully you guys got, got a, a good, uh, hopefully you guys got a good take on what I explained tonight. All right. All right. Moderators, we want to be uh, mindful. If you, if you see someone constantly providing comments that have nothing to do with the chat, they may very well be a bot. So you may just want to look out for those kind of comments. Um, I've noticed them for several weeks in a row now. So um, I know we, the, sometimes the chat moves fast and we don't have time to see every single comment. So but that's a that's how you consider that's how you can tell if if they're com if no one's talking to them and their comments are completely off kilter from anything that's being spoken of in the video or in the comment section and uh, and sometimes their comments seem insightful yeah they're they're a bot they're not even a real person <laughs> it's a program so all right guys um okay well i hope i if, if there's no other questions that i see I'm gonna check my chat again from or my messages from my moderators. Other than that, I just want to um, lovingly remind everybody. Oh, there's no reason to apologize, David Shear. That's it's it's actually something when I'm watching some of the podcasts on replay uh, because I critique myself and I try to get better at presenting stuff and transition and everything. Um, yeah, it's it's no big deal. It's I'm just saying it's something that I started seeing. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, because sometimes they just start arguments. All right, guys, go sign up for Keenum Cast. Subscribe to Keenum Cast. Subscribe to the New Jerusalem Media. Um, this is uh, it's 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 an extension of our ministry here, at Kingdom Contest, and it's how we're going to actually grow and reach more people. So you're going to be able to help us do that by subscribing to those channels. Please go do that for us. We really appreciate it. And um, other than that, I hope that whenever you're selling, uh, celebrating Shavuot, and if you've never sell, excuse me, let, me, let me slow down. I get excited. If you're celebrating Shavuot this year, may it be a blessing to you. May the Father pour his spirit out upon you. If this is your first time to consider celebrating Shavuot, now that we've gone through the scriptures and you see that it's an eternal command for Christians, disciples of Jesus, and that the king keeps it in heaven right now, and that his king, the king and the kingdom will keep it when it comes to the earth and the millennial reign. And you decide, man, I, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should keep that. How do I do that? Just, it's a day you take off work and it's a day that you have a meal to the Father and just relax and enjoy yourself. We cannot, because we're in the dispersion and that was prophesied that we would be scattered across everywhere under the heaven and all these different countries and that we can't fully keep it according to all of its requirements until we're gathered back into the new Jerusalem and the millennial reign begins. But in the meantime, we do our best just to honor it as taking a day off work and just having a, a meal and just, you know, just thinking about the Father and doing our best to, to, to love the Father during that day by giving them our attention. And um, so we, that's, that's all you can do really at this point. So, all right, guys, we love you. Appreciate everyone being here. Um, and if this video was a blessing to you, and if you have someone that you think would be benefited by the scriptures that I presented in this video about Shavuot, please share it, like this video. And then also um, if you haven't already subscribed to Kimi in context, please do that. All right, guys, let me uh, let you leave with a beautiful, um, a beautiful song from our brother, Ken Heiderbrecht, hanging on his words. He's about to release a new album. So make sure you go check that out. And also keep in mind that we're going to have um, this Thursday, I've, I've tried to uh, re reschedule my interview with uh, Rose Triple Seven. And uh, that way we can, we're going to be talking about how she came to the awareness that she doesn't live on a ball of space and that she is um, 
going through the learning curve of realizing that everything that we talk about on this channel pertaining to how God created everything, she's coming to that realization. So we're going to be having a fun conversation with her on Thursday. And then on Friday, don't miss it. We're going to be speaking with our guest, uh, Zen Garcia, about serpent seed theory. So love you guys. We'll see you next time. Father love